0: You're listening to the Boss Businesses Surgery Series, Episode 76. Today, I talk with Dr. Alice Harrell. We talk about emotions. I know, I know. But really, emotions are the reasons we do everything. We talk about emotions as identities, and she shares with us the 12 areas of emotional competency. It's a really interesting topic. I'm excited for you to learn more. And if you want to learn more about the Boss Businesses Surgery Series, go to bosssurgery.com and I have an official launch date for the Become the Boss MD book that's coming out June 20th. Welcome surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I have Dr. Alice Harrell. And we were actually talking about this. You know, we're not even sure how we actually met. It's been, you know, online, we've been interacting. And like you see a lot in social media, you start interacting with people who have the same mission, who share the same values and interest. And then before you know it, you're like best of friends. And you're like, I don't think we've actually even met before. <laughs> So, so Dr. Harrell, I'm so happy to have you on here. Um, and in fact, you're actually from, you know, somewhere near where I live right now, which is pretty amazing uh, how small of a world that is, but I know that you're in Oregon right now, and I know that you're an emergency room physician, um, but you have transitioned your career. And I'm curious, tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Yes. So I'm Alice Harrell, I'm emergency medicine physician by training. However, two years ago, actually to the month. Um, I decided to step away from clinical medicine, kind of the short story is that after COVID and mothering two small children and being married to an emergency physician, I was just in a job that no longer served me when I really took some time with coaching to kind of figure out what, what to do. So I stepped away from clinical medicine and started down the path of uh, becoming an executive coach. And I coach physicians primarily. It's been a very rewarding path actually to step away, which is great. Cause like two years ago, I was actually kind of terrified to <laughs>
0: step away. Oh, yeah. I love how you, like, dismissed all relatively big things, too. You know, this is so entertaining how we do this. The fact that, you know, you're a two-physician family in the time of COVID, and I know you told me, like, two of your nannies quit then you've lost your babysitters. And in the times of COVID, I I mean, I think that your story is actually representative of a lot of what some people have had to go through, which is impossible situations. We have jobs that are more difficult. We have staffing shortages. We had, you know, a global pandemic. We have childcare, critical access, you know, just, you know, everyone's normal life was disrupted. And, you know, I, I think that your story specifically just, you know, how do you manage you know to do all the things when life demands much more of you than the job does? And this job that we work so hard for, then you find like, this just doesn't serve me anymore. I mean, I think that a lot of people are actually going through that exact scenario that you're describing.
1: Yes, they are. (laughs) And I think that's actually, you know, we've seen the statistics about women leaving their careers, uh, and the exodus of women from medicine, which I think is a huge tragedy because we, we bring so much more to the table, but we just have a set of circumstances right now that we have to work within, um, which was very hard for me to accept.
0: Don't think that I got there easily. I- Now, to be awesome. clear, a hundred thousand physicians have left the workforce. That's 10%. And we all, you know, definitely agree that that women tend to have this second shift syndrome and be you know more bearing the child rearing duties and things like that too. So certainly women are disproportionately affected. But, you know, this is definitely an, an epidemic that is going to impact all of medicine if we're not careful.
1: A hundred percent. I agree with you. And I think that a lot of that kind of has to do with moral injury as well. The changes in the way that our systems are doing medicine and it's impacting everyone for sure. But yeah, I, I had to sit with myself and um, actually my coach was pretty critical at helping me see like, what are the facts of what you have, what do you value and how do you want to live your life? And I was really suffering from some pretty severe burnout. Um, I'll just share something very personal. I, I ended up entering counseling, um, right after leaving my job and really entering a period of grief. I mean, I've worked my whole life for this career and decided like, oh, it doesn't fit my life anymore. And and there's grief in that. And I think we are dismissive of that, but yeah, I I stepped away. I started the process of healing and finding a new path. And, um, it's been very rewarding. I discovered a lot about myself, including an ADHD diagnosis later in life, which was, um, uh, pretty big thing to know about. And I'm just now in a different place and really flourishing and um, get regular sleep. And I'm able to be here for my family. And I feel very fulfilled in this new path. So I would just say like, to people listening, I think that we really limit our options. (laughs) When we go through medical school, um, and then become physicians and we just think like I have to do it this way like and and I just have to suffer through and the truth is there's so many options uh, in the way we can do things um, part time locums um, there's non clinical opportunities to use your skills there's so many
0: options Life's short it's not worth being miserable and unhealthy. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that we're seeing that a lot is that, you know, really the only power that we have as physicians is to have these flexible pathways and careers and really define what we want and what we, you know, what works and what serves us in our life and our life ever changing. But, you know, and I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, the grief associated with it because, you know, like to leave the medical profession when, You've worked so hard for it, and you know, with us as overachievers, we adapt and we bend and we bend and we bend until eventually, some of us do break. Um, it's it's a difficult to navigate that, you know, and and give up something that we've worked so hard for. And of course, there's going to be grief associated with it. It makes, of course, huge sense for that to to be occurring.
1: Yes, yes, and I think that was the one thing. Like, we tend to dismiss our feelings. We tend to dismiss. Our own suffering, I think, as physicians, because we're taught to have that stiff upper lip. And uh, that's where being in counseling <laughs> was great because she just named it. She said, you're experiencing grief. And I'll just point out that while I feel like I've done the majority of that hard grieving, it's something that, you know, I don't want to minimize the loss of a loved one. But it, it is a similar Process where I'm going through a line. relationship.
0: I mean, it's it, it, it a marriage.
1: It's yeah, yeah. A dysfunctional Dude, one. <laughs> if, you, if you went down this path, you sacrificed a lot of yourself mm-hmm. Um, and really, you know, other things, special occasions you couldn't attend because you weren't training or having to work. Um, But, you know, every now and then I'll have a day where it's just like, oh my gosh. I'm really missing that. And I kind of have a hard day. Yeah. And then I, I tend to rebound much quicker <laughs> than I did in the beginning. Um, but that's because I loved my career. I never stopped loving emergency medicine. I just occasionally am like, gosh, I would love to do one more chest tube <laughs> or one more intubation on an upper GI bleed or, you know, um, just, I loved that kind of thing.
0: And, you know, I think that our, our jobs, you know, really are, can be like marriages. I mean, we put so much, invest so much time and effort into us and, you know, it goes both ways too. you know, the job offers us something, we offer something to the job, but it becomes, you know, when it's an imbalance, when we are asking the job to take something that we can't give ourselves, or the job is asking something that we can't give. That's usually when things fall apart. That's when any relationship falls apart is when you're seeking someone else to make you feel something when you can't, or if they're asking more than, 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 is reasonable to give. I mean, that's usually when it falls apart. Um, I wanted to go into like the whole thing that, that piqued my interest about you in the first place, which was, you know, we talked about, um, emotional intelligence. And so, you know, we think IQ, we think this, you know, intelligence quotient, but you mentioned that there is this emotional, uh, quotient. So take us through a little bit of that work that you're doing now.
1: Yes. So, um, EQ is something that I learned a lot about after my exit from medicine. I think we intuitively understand a lot of it. Um, but I, I really do think it's important, um, to talk about, um, you, you mentioned IQ. So, so much of our training kind of revolves around, you know, IQ, what we know, there's such a heavy emphasis. But I think um, Dr. Daniel Goldman was the one who kind of first brought this notion uh, to the forefront um, that EQ actually impacts our success um, and is just as important as our IQ. Um, And so I, I thought it was really interesting. I'd have no reference for this, but I remember being at this social with some other physicians and, um, a cardiologist was talking to me and telling me that, you know, they had read something about how the more advanced and educated, uh, people became, and, um, the longer training was as physicians, the less our IQ became, which I found very interesting. Um because you know, you're know you highly trained, highly intelligent, um, but I almost think that we've, in medicine, given ourselves permission to lower our EQ. Um, and there's a lot around that, right? Like our training and what's required of us. Um, but I think that it, I'm starting to see training programs in medical schools kind of tap into the importance of this because it impacts your success in your relationships with your patients, with your colleagues, with your staff, um, and so it's really it impacts you, <laughs> you right. know. And so that's why I'm really passionate about that, and that's part of what I work with, you know, with coaching clients. Um, I may not outright say it, but it impacts so much of what we do and what our struggles often are.
0: Right. And so you mentioned that, um, you know, defining it and the four areas. What are the four areas of this emotional intelligence?
1: Yeah. So EQ is simply uh, self awareness, understanding yourself. Um, It is self management, which is um, labeling your emotions and identifying your triggers um, so that you can respond rather than react. Um, It is social awareness. Um, or you can think of it as others awareness and being able to be empathetic, being able to understand that there are other perspectives and be understanding of other people's perspectives. And the fourth area is relationship management. Um, and that is, um, managing conflict, teamwork, your ability to influence or lead, um, and, um, So those are basically the four areas that, um, have been broken down by Goldman. And, um, to me, it's just really interesting because, um, of those four areas, it starts with you, with your own self-awareness, with your own ability to manage yourself, um, being able to say when you are feeling enraged or angry or you hear something that upsets you being able to label your emotion is huge um and being able to do that in a non-judgmental way is even bigger you know right. just say like i'm angry uh and not judging that and then to say well, what am i thinking what am i feeling um what do i need to happen in this situation and uh, uh, what should I do? It's that pause from your amygdala to your prefrontal cortex, and learning to hit pause so that you can respond. Because we we are all emotional people, you know. And I think as physicians and a lot of us, we we tend to think, well, I, I don't get into the touchy feely, or I'm not an emotional person. And the truth is, we all have amygdalas. We're all emotional beings. Mm-hmm. Um.
0: I like your point too, but at first, you know, you know, clarifying what our emotion is and, and, you know, a lot of us, especially, you know, with the pandemic and isolation and all the things, you know, a lot of us are having a lot of unmanaged, uh, emotions going on. And I think the, the biggest problem that I see, you know, actually I said two problems. One is that we don't identify what this emotion is or where it's coming from. And the second is we think someone else is actually responsible for it.
1: hundred <laughs> percent. So Two very important points here. One is in every situation, we all hold some responsibility, right? That's hard because there are situations where maybe we are being treated unfairly or maybe they aren't right, but it is very important for us and our growth, our well being, our success to be able to say, be aware of yourself and do you play any responsibility? That's huge, Um, and the other thing is being able to identify your emotions. I mean, it's it's not easy. It comes with practice, really. Um, But to be able, because I think as a society we've been taught to repress your emotions, and I mean, so Daniel Goldman kind of goes through all that. That really kind of was the way, right? Like, you know, just toughen up, be stoic, And, and when you repress emotions, you decrease your EQ. And it's not like, I mean, there is a responsible way to go about this, right? You can't, uh, you do need some self-control and that's the self-management portion of it, but it is very important to be able to say, like, I know these particular things trigger me. Um, and, uh, being the more you can identify your emotion, I highly recommend for everyone downloading a feelings wheel, The first time I looked at one, I was like, oh, wow. Well, I I didn't know that this was actually fear or that this was actually sadness, (laughs) you know, these emotions, because they really branch them out. And that just increases your vocabulary and allows you to be able to assess your feelings and break it down um, easier. And I don't think it's something that intuitively comes to us. So it's just something that we do
0: with with practice. Yeah, I definitely agree about the emotional wheel because, you know, it starts with an inner circle of like some, you know, happy, angry, sad, you know, but then it gives you a lot more things of, you know, angry could be hopeless, helpless, frustrated, you know, all the things. And so, you know, it it branches out and allows you to get better clarity. And the more clarity you have in your emotion, the more you can figure out the cause of it. And that's it's getting to the root cause of it that matters so much. And I also agree, it comes with us. I mean we we think that our job should make us feel this one way. We think our spouse or our friend or someone should make us feel this way. You know, our our patients make us angry. We think it's their fault. You know, it's recognizing that we are actually responsible for our, our emotions. And it also lets you get off the hook for someone else's emotions. You know, the only thing that we can do is create an environment where someone could feel something. But if someone chooses to feel unappreciated or frustrated with us or whatever, you know, we can only create the environment where they might feel happy. We can't make them happy. We can only create the environment where they could feel appreciated, but we can't make them feel appreciated. And this is, you know, certainly a downfall that I've had in my own job of trying to make someone feel appreciated when they had in their head that they did not feel appreciated. So it didn't matter what I did. It was never going to change their emotion that they chose to have. I could only create the environment where it was possible.
1: A hundred percent. And I think that that is so powerful when you begin to realize like, um, you know, I'm responsible for my emotions. They're responsible for theirs. I'm responsible for my actions and they're responsible for theirs um, because, it it really does alleviate a lot of, uh, I, I've fallen prey to that too, you know, working so hard to just try to make sure somebody's happy, but you, you're, that's not your job and that's their job. So that's even something that (laughs) as I'm parenting, I'm trying to teach my kids, like, you know, Hey, this is my, I, I have my emotions and you have yours and we're each responsible for them. Um, And we're also responsible for our behavior. Um, And so that's really important on so many levels in all relationships.
0: I completely agree. Uh, Now take us through like using this emotional intelligence, um, you know, how you mentioned that this helps you make these emotionally informed decision-making, like how do, how do we use this in real life?
1: Yeah. So, um, I think it's one being aware of what emotional intelligence is, um, understanding it's self-awareness, self-management, being aware of others, and then managing, um, your relationships. Those things highly impact your leadership abilities. It's been proven that it's like the key to being a good leader. Um, and it matters because, I don't think like, I didn't realize until I really started studying this and learning about it, how much it impacts our decision-making. So, I mean, we have our conscience and we have our subconscious and our subconscious impacts our decision-making. So when we're not aware of all the things impacting our behavior or thoughts, we're are we really making informed decisions are we really you know reacting or are we responding um and so um it's huge because your emotions impact your rational decision making so um it's and and it an example was because i was trying to make this make sense um but um in the book emotional intelligence um it talks about like how let's say you made a bad investment. You remember that feeling, right? There's a feeling associated when that investment went bad. Well, if you didn't have that feeling and the next time you were trying to make some decisions around investments, you know, you may not make a better decision. Um, so all of those things combine, um, to really make it something that, uh, we should be aware of, um, and we should work on if we really want to
0: be better at being good leaders and having good relationships. I've heard emotions, um, you know, do two things: either you know they drive what we're going to do, so we feel motivated, so we do something. Uh, but I've also heard it the other way of like everything we do is to create a feeling within ourselves. You know, like, why did we become physicians? Because we wanted to, you know, feel accomplished and achieve. You know, why did we leave the, the, the medical profession? Because, well, we don't want to feel the way we're feeling anymore. You know, there's all kinds of different ways to do this, but it's driving us so much more than I think that we give it credit for. And I think, you know, really building up the knowledge about that and, you know, emotional um, intelligence is one book, but I find Brene Brown's um, Atlas of the Heart to be even easier to read because she takes these emotions that sound kind of similar and, or, you know, feel like we think are the same and, you know, gives clarity, clarity to them. And I talked about this in the course. um, It's complicated of, you know, the difference between guilt and um, shame, you know, they both feel kind of icky and it's usually after a complication, you know, but guilt makes us feel bad about the event, but shame makes us feel bad about ourselves. And so some emotions lead us more to identify them with us and others just allow us to feel a negative emotion that, you know, is a little bit easier to see that we could actually be more equipped to have other people help us Versus thinking that this emotion is something of who we are and therefore by identifying with it is much harder to overcome it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I think that's why being able to identify your emotions is important, you know, and, and knowing what they are, having that definition around them, as you just explained with the difference between guilt and shame, and then being able to sit with them and understand how they're impacting you, how they're impacting Things in your life is really important. And, um, I, one of the self-assessments I like to use with my clients. So if one of the, the big key for emotional intelligence is self-awareness, like a tool developing, that, that's pretty important. And I like to use the Enneagram. Um, and I actually have done a lot of training in the Enneagram and, um, one of the people that I, uh, listen to a lot and follow is, uh, Ian Morgan Cron. Um, and he talks about how important it is. We'll say, well, I am sad. Well, you're not sad, (laughs) you know? you are feeling sad. Um, and the importance of understanding emotions. And I think it's the Irish he was saying, they don't say I am sad. They say sadness is upon me so that you can really, uh, differentiate like emotions and your identity. Mm -hmm. Right. And understand that's pretty important and being able to manage the emotion.
0: I think that's true for both thoughts and emotions is like just the two steps. One is, you know, I, just like you said, like I am sad versus I'm feeling sad, you know, or sadness is upon me, you know, separating out and de-identifying it. And, you know, there's other things, like especially like a trait, like I'm a person who used to feel sadness in the past. So you can de-identify it and kick it into the past uh, Is or simple ways to sort of sh- shed some of these things that we've taken as identities that actually really aren't. Yes.
1: And it's, you know, a lot of those practices too are strengthening those paths between your amygdala and prefrontal cortex, which is, we need to be in our prefrontal cortex. If we want to respond rather than react, the amygdala just causes us to react and it goes so much faster than our prefrontal cortex. So the more we take time and we practice, it's why meditation, um, works wonders. And if meditation's hard for you, just, being mindful of being in the present um, moment, even if it's on a walk, um, like just turning off your phone, uh, what am I seeing and smelling and feeling and those, those sorts of things It really helps strengthen that pathway to your prefrontal cortex to allow you to make decisions from there. So just take that five second pause before responding to a situation. Um, which I think is really important because as physicians, you can kind of think of it as fast thinking, slow thinking when you're, when you're in fast thinking, and this is kind of a concept of EQ, you, when you're in fast thinking, so you're in an emergency situation and hello, emergency physicians, we're in those a lot surgeons you're in the OR, something goes sideways. Like you're, you're in that fast thinking, you're just having to react to what's in front of you. You're going to fall to your competencies, your EQ competencies. And so whatever you've mastered is what is going to come out in those moments when you're in the slow thinking and you can build your competencies and master more, you'll have more to draw from Mm -hmm. in those times of fast thinking, so
0: to speak. I like that you fall to the level of your competency.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's true. It's, it's um, true. And those think? areas just to kind of this kind of a long list, but when you look at it with emotional intelligence, there's actually this list of like, I think it's 12 different things. I have them here. So it's self-regard, self-actualization, emotional self-awareness, emotional expression, assertiveness, independence, interpersonal relationships, empathy, social responsibility, problem solving, reality, testing, impulse control, flexibility, stress, tolerance, optimism, and happiness. And, um, it's, something you there are assessments and stuff you can do online if you want to find out everybody starts somewhere right everybody has some competencies and everybody has some weaknesses but if there's an area you feel like is tripping you up you really can in those times of um you know being able to respond slower build them and then when you're in these stressful situations you will begin to default to those as well.
0: And one thing I wanted to point out, you know when you talk about the prefrontal cortex, and you know the everything does filter through our amygdala first. And if you are in a stressful situation and you have been for a while and your job doesn't feel safe anymore, your home doesn't feel safe anymore, it is so much harder to access and get past all of that, too. you know, the ability to create that pause, the real the ability to dial down that that cortisol mediated response of all these things, you know, the, the ability to access the smart part of our brain is so much harder. And I think as you are, you know, getting out of a difficult situation is recognizing this is not something that's going to come immediately. It's going to take some time.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think it is important to understand what our triggers are. And um, because throughout our life, our amygdala has taken in information and we all have lived different lives and have had different circumstances. So it's pretty important to know when you begin to sit and go, oh, well, this really isn't about this situation. This situation made me feel this, which made me feel really insecure. And and maybe insecurity is a a trigger for you. Um, Maybe feeling helpless or taking advantage of is a trigger for you. And so being able to have those moments where you think about these hard feelings or these difficult feelings or uncomfortable feelings, which we just want to ignore a lot of times, the more we're able to quickly filter down to this was my trigger. Um, and maybe there's work for you to do on your trigger. And, you know, as you do that, and I would advise counseling probably for that, because it's probably based on something in the past, which coaches were present and future, um, you become more emotionally intelligent and, and and you feel more controlled in your responses and you build that stronger uh, pathway to your prefrontal cortex.
0: Right. And what would you advise someone who, you know, consistently has, you know, a negative emotion?
1: I think that the first step is just saying like, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? Just take it situationally. What am I feeling? What am I thinking? Am I getting in my own way? And uh, how should I respond? I think that that's a really important kind of first step. It kind of helps you step into it. I think Building on your self-awareness uh, is a big part of it too. That's uh, so why I really love the Enneagram work um, because it's much more than a personality test. Personality tests are about, temperances, uh, about preferences and temperament. Um, and the Enneagram really delves a little bit lower and goes into subconscious and your motivations for your behavior. And so um, when I coach people, I kind of take you through this integrant process where you understand more about yourself and then you'll understand why you're having these emotions. And um, you'll see behaviors that become like rumble strips for you. Like, oh, I'm over here and I'm being overly critical. Well, that's a rumble strip for my Enneagram type. So I must be under stress what's going on. Um, and you're just able to build more awareness around yourself. So I think self-awareness is, is the first and the biggest thing.
0: We think that when we feel something negative, something has to happen too. (laughs) (laughs) And I think like when it comes to like something negative is like, sometimes you can actually just sit with it and not actually do anything. And, you know, just like you said, with the self-awareness of, of saying that, you know, I can feel this and I can understand where it's coming from and nothing actually has to change. Um, and, and simply being aware of it is enough. And I talked to folks about, you know, sitting with it, you know, then there's the alternative of resisting it, which, you know, <laughs> mixed results on that one. Um, There's transforming it to where, you know, again, if you have this feeling of shame, you know, can I transform this into simple guilt, which is a little bit easier to manage, I separate it from myself. And, you know, there is the uh, overcoming it altogether. It's like, how do I, you know, neutralize this emotion to where I, I can, you know, avoid, you know, triggering that feeling itself. But there's a lot of different a ways to approach it. But the first thing is to recognize is like, where does it come from? And I actually don't have to do anything yet. I can pause and not do anything, uh, even though there's that sudden urge to, to feel better.
1: Right. Um, I actually think it begins with accepting it. When we feel something, it's really important that we just non-judgmentally assess it. That's a big thing and I accept it. I'm feeling shame. But that can be okay. You know, it doesn't mean it's staying, but when you make it something that, oh, it's got to change, we can't, you know, it becomes, it can be invalidating. So validate yourself. It's okay. You know, we all feel these emotions and we feel them for some reason. And it doesn't have to mean something negative about who we are, um, and so that's really, I think the first step is to stop feeling shame about your shame, <laughs> whatever <laughs> it is, it's accepting it and validating yourself. Yeah. Like, of course you would feel that way. Right. Yeah. Um, And, and then you can work with that into something that is more positive for you. It's not accepting and staying in it, but just give yourself a moment to yeah. accept it and say it's okay (laughs) um because that constant need to like oh we got to make this better right now like you're saying it it can be really invalidating so just identify and accept it and I think I mentioned to you on at some point before about the tarantula study which I found really interesting where they um worked it was a study they did with a group of people who were afraid of spiders and so they had a tarantula and they broke down how they had the four four different groups respond the first group just labeled and identified their emotion um fear and the second group uh, worked on reframing their fear The third group worked on uh, desensitizing their fear and the fourth did like exposure therapy and the people that overcame the fear um, and the people that ended up getting closest to the spider were the ones that simply just identified that they were afraid. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really powerful in understanding how important it is to identify and just accept what we're
0: feeling. And I completely agree too, about not judging it either too. I mean, just because we feel something doesn't necessarily mean anything about us or the world or anything, you know, simple thought triggered something that made us feel something vibration in our body. That's about it.
1: (laughs) Yes. And we all feel those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And how we choose to respond to it's up to us. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's, it doesn't have to mean something bad about ourselves. Um, And so I feel like this is something we talk about more now. I I mean, I never really heard people talk about
0: this 20 years ago. Oh, I completely agree. I think that it's definitely much more, you know, mainstream of, and of course, if this is like the motivation that we all have of either to feel something or we do something because we feel a certain way, you know, it makes sense to understand, you know, and expand our emotional, our EQ, if you will, um, to understand why we're getting the results that we're getting and to help us motivate to get different ones if we don't like what we're getting. And yeah. Along those lines, so how does someone choose to work with you? Um, yes.
1: So you can um, visit my website, cultivatingsplendor.com, or you can reach out to me at cultivatingsplendor at gmail.com.
0: That's perfect. All right. Well, Dr. Hill thank you so much for coming on and sharing something that's so important with us. And, you know, I think that the more we can expand our EQ, I think the better off the world will be. Yes, I agree. For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to BossSurgery.com.